Hi, welcome. This is Ian from Allegra Lab. Really happy to start a new mini-series here at Allegra, talking with the editors of our thematic threads. And really happy that we're going to kick this off talking with two editors of a thread that was just published, Encountering Precarities, Ethnography, Spurious Solidarity, and Neoliberal Academia. And I'm really happy that I have the two editors here. I'm going to ask them both to introduce themselves. Thanks, Ian. And hello, everyone. I'm Olivia Casagrande. Um, I'm, I work at the University of Sheffield, and I live in Sheffield with my two kids and partners. And I've been in the UK since four years. Hi everyone, I'm Yola Castellano, I'm a social anthropologist working at the University of Bayreuth, but I'm living in Berlin with my partner and my cat. <laughs> and I think as the discussion goes on, you'll, you'll uh, hopefully everyone will uh, realise why it's important that, that uh, Olivia and Viola mentioned their um, yeah, personal situations as well, because this is also going to be part of the discussion and part of the analysis, shall we say. Um, all right, so like I, I, I mentioned the title, you know, precarity, ethnography, solidarity, neoliberal academia, or rather spurious solidarity, as, as you term it, there's, there's a lot going on there, right? So tell me, what, why are you bringing into conversation these different elements? Well, as, as you pointed out, this all started from not only our thinking, but also our personal experiences and our autobiographical uh, situation and, and, you know, professional trajectories and our discussions with colleagues and friends um, and, yes, other anthropologists that were experiencing similar issues and, and, and problems. Um, we wanted to reflect on those uh, with a more kind of, collective take. So we wanted to also look into uh, how this situation is not only ours, but it's shared by many anthropologists in Europe and beyond. But at the same time, we also wanted to shift the attention from not only precarity in academia, but also how this is experienced and, and how this influences the politics of ethnographic fieldwork. Yeah. Can we uh, think about precarity in a way that goes beyond the um, uh, the academic politics and like and see how it affects us as a existential condition that then we bring in the field because we go to the so-called field with our own presence without our own subjectivity and because uh, precarity is such a pervasive condition that affects every uh, aspect of the <laughs> special temporal dimension of your presence then like we thought it's like how many anthropologists are precarious and at the same time um, they build relationality in the field. They're talking about what research is now because research is mostly made by precarious scholars. Um, and so how this condition affects, even if it's not um, clearly articulated uh, in, in, then in what is produced as ethnography, but how can it affect the relationality, the ethics, the politics of fever, and how is um, subjectively um, put at work, you know, in the field and uh, in the way in which uh, we connect with other people? So then, how does it? How does it connect? How does the preca precarious situation of anthropologists change the relationships in the field and the type of ethnography we produce? Well, I think that the, the one consideration to be made is that this is a generational condition. So it's, it's, 
in some ways, with all the differences, of course, that are there in terms of, uh, you know, national context, race and other intersectional aspect that we, we should consider. Um, but there is some generational uh, situation that, that is shared with our interlocutors in the field. And especially, as, as Viola said, that this is part of our everyday experience and our, our existential being. Um, this comes up during the field, field work. So it's, it's, it's also a matter of recognizing each other in the field work, in the, in the field and seeing how we actually share more than we thought, maybe in this kind of situations. Of course, we, we talk in the trade about, uh, the um, ambiguous, um, the, the ambiguity of this, uh, sharing is not straightforward. It's not uh, just one mirroring uh, the other, but but there are similarities, and that's also why we we wanted to reflect on this. Can you give me some examples of 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 sort of things that came up that allow us to see these similarities and and, and also the differences? Can you can you can you talk me through some examples, either from the um, essays that you wrote or from the other submissions? For example, in um, in uh, Joanna's case, um, she talks about how uh, her experience as a PhD student at UCL and uh, and um, her involvement in the forms of activism against the precarity in the in academia um, connected to her fieldwork in Exarchia in Athens. Uh, which was uh, which is not only uh, her uh, field site but also the neighborhood where she grew up. So she had a very personal, intimate connection with the with the neighborhood, and uh, and and she was very aware, and she lived the processes of gentrification and dispossession that were very much present in Exarchia. But at the same time, she also lived uh, the forms of solidarity and uh, that the. Uh, Characterize the na- characterize the neighborhood, but especially in, in ch- from two thousand and fifteen uh, uh, on, uh, were particularly intense because of um, the so called refugee crisis and the movement that was created, like of solidarity within the neighborhood itself. So this this bridge that she makes in the in the in the contribution allows her to reflect on how. Uh, these experiences inside, like academia and outside, but and then we can talk about is fieldwork really outside or not. But it's 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 about the fact that um, there is like a continuum, let's say, that cannot be distinguished very clearly, and uh, and this continuum in which she was she's very much involved in her own different existential aspect influenced the way in which she writes and she does ethnography. But at the same time, uh, she also has to perform a certain a certain academic, um, yeah, role or like a persona that doesn't allow this to be really part of the analytics of her work. So that's, for example, uh, in the case of uh, Joanna. Maybe uh, Olivia wants to talk about uh, other uh, contributions. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of Francesco contribution, contribution that I think is really interesting because it's, 
it's very provocative. Uh, it it declares this provocation at the beginning to to just say, okay, I'm not doing a, like a, a classic anthropological comparison here, but I want to use this parallel between precariously employed scholars and young Senegalese wrestlers to just make us think about what we are going through and what we we share and what we don't. But especially, he wants to think about possible strategies to face the different situations and and the awkward connection that he makes um, are really striking because it makes us reflect on how much we are enmeshed in, in competition and individualism so much that you can actually think of yourself as a wrestling against I don't know your colleagues your situation whatever this is is still like a very strong uh, metaphor, to, but I think it's it's quite exact in 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 the way how m many of us feel every day, and I think it's quite interesting here to connect this with some data that um, are from the IASA report from Ivan Chevafota and and I think it was Ivan Chevafota and Peronis. Uh, 2020. So when they say, okay, two-thirds of academic anthropologists in Europe are in some forms of precarious employment, and 70% of academics uh, in anthropology in Europe don't think that they're, I am quoting here because this was really something uh, I think to highlight, they do, they, they, do not, they do not regard academia as a career-enabling environment. But at the same time, only 4% of them are thinking about leaving academia. So I really think we can think about some wrestling situation here. Totally. And, and, and it comes through also, I think, in, in your, your framing, the, the short introduction, this sort of bizarre world of hyper-individualized production that we, we're told to always do. And at the same time, um, as, as you point out, acad uh, anthropologists often have been more and more looking at questions of power and uh, marginalization <laughs> and we can we can turn our critique uh, in our field sites but then when we come back home shall we say wherever our home is or back inside the walls of the university then many anthropologists really fail especially those we should say with permanent positions fail to apply that their own that own thinking to their own situation right like to see to see the the weird let's call it what it is, I don't know, like weird ritual of celebrating the ranking of one's university and what a particular anthropologist has done to contribute to that by publishing in a certain journal with a certain impact factor. It's insane. Like, it's like, it's like, it's, it's, uh, but, uh, but it, what's insane is, is that and also that people don't recognize it themselves as anthropologists. When, when we go to do fieldwork, then apparently we can, we can spot all of the contradictions and how these systems uphold, you know, um, uh, yeah, power and, and making certain groups marginalized and so on and um and what's really i think interesting in uh, your contribution viola is you frame it that discussion partly also in a life trajectory as well right in a like, sense of like like i i mean i don't know how old you are and i don't want to ask but you, i know you're not an adult um, because you say you say you're still basically having an extended childhood thanks to uh, being in academia 
Yeah, yeah, that uh, that's actually an uh, interesting <laughs> point of view. I would I would love to think about my life in terms of extended childhood. I'm not sure that privilege of childhood are still there though. But uh, but yeah, no, that's that's what I decided to do is like to really start and taking a hard, uh, long look at my <laughs> trajectory, which uh, was very intermittent, uh, so inside and outside academia. And uh, I think that's um, it's also something that helped me to elaborate what I'm trying to say in that contribution, in the sense that I didn't just live precarity within academia, but also in other work fields. And, um, and that were that were still precarious and that wouldn't have like solved my precarity even if I decided to leave academia and work in any of the other field in which I work, which is just to quote to, to cite some some of them like humanitarian, art world, hospitality, and so on. So, and that's that's what I thought is like, and I also moved a lot from. From, I lived in different countries and I had to uh, also deal with the different uh, regulation, work regulation of, of these different countries in which I, in which I lived. But what, I, what this allowed me to do is to uh, meet people that live precarious situation but come from very different trajectories. So to have like a, let's say, a, like a broad broader look at uh, various situation of uh, precarity geographically socially economically and so on and so the the first thing that i thought is like precarity is, is extremely intersectional in the sense that um it's uh, somehow um a, a condition that cannot be flattened uh, even if it's true that there is a generational um, uh, element there, but still it's something that locates you in a different power geography, depending on the intersectional factor that come into play. Uh, but at the same time, even if I'm extremely aware of this, um, different locations of uh, different geographies of precarity, um, I still uh, felt that there was some kind of connection that was more existential and, and I, as I try to elaborate, epistemic than uh, directly or like uh, straightforwardly political because there are so many differences at the same time. But it's more like uh, I was uh, reading Lauren Berlan. She talks about... Um, Precarity as an affective class, no? something that it's more like a structure of feeling, let's say, than actually uh, material reality that unfolds in the same way um, in, in, the, like, in the various subjects who represent it than this class. And I feel this a little bit, and this could be you know, an opportunity, but at the same time, it can also be a little bit of a trap because then you can think that there is a proximity that is actually is not there. So to be analytically precise in looking at how precarity is expressed and like to, and to recognize also these partial bridges, like the, the one that Joanna talks about, I also talk about like partial 
um, connection or and I think that outspurious solidarity I think that that could be interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, I think um, and, and I, I, I was struck as well by by your um, contribution Olivia because um, I'm sure most um, people who are parents and are anthropologists and have done fieldwork at the same time have this sort of um i don't know like uh i mean weird weird isn't the right word wonderful we should say <laughs> wonderful and trying moments in the field of having a child and then having them either i've, I've had uh, i've taken my child both to uh my field site also my partner's field site it's much more fun having a child in your partner's field site um but <laughs> than, than in your own but also and then also feeling sort of guilty as well at the same time because i was using my child as a as a <laughs> as a research tool you know because everybody because i mean everybody wants to you know everyone likes a little baby and you can just come around with a baby and then start doing field work at the same time but um aside from that sort of cuteness uh, some of these uh, yeah these issues of precarity that viola were just talking about and how it shifts also play out once you are a parent and you talk a little bit about this in in your contribution about how yeah precarity and motherhood and anthropology and academia um tie together so could you elaborate a little bit on that please Yes, I mean, probably the fieldwork was the best part of, of being a mother in academia, uh, even if it was challenging, of course. Um, but still, I don't know, kind of, um, it was, I, I should say, and this is part of the reflection here, it was probably uh, easier to feel solidarity and make a connection in, in doing fieldwork than it is in an academia where competition is so high and sometimes you don't even really talk about this thing. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have very nice colleagues now, but not always has been like this. So um, sometimes you just have cold relationships in, in which you don't talk, you just don't talk about your personal life. Maybe you have amazing discussions in terms of, you know, what you're doing, your research, your reflections in, in, in professional terms, but not really your personal life. And these are actually intertwined and, and part of the same um, discourse. Uh, so sometimes it's a bit uh, an issue there. But um, yeah, I think being a mother also intertwined with a specific research methodology that I choose during my project that was uh, a highly collaborative and strongly collaborative, I, I would say, um, project in which I had to let go of much of the control of the, you know, the, the anthropologists directing things and being there and, and, and deciding things. Actually, it was one of the conditions my research uh, partners and collaborator put uh, right at the beginning saying, okay, you come here with your project. We don't really trust European anthropologists <laughs> for a reason. So if you want to take this forward with us, we are just going to change it completely. Your choice. And that was really tough at the beginning. And it was amazing afterwards because, uh, well, I learned a lot. And also um, having the work taken as, as a collective and not as, you know, this lonely and individual anthropologist working by herself all the time and actually the reflection was very much shared uh, was was amazing and this was was in parallel to my 
being a new mother. So it, I think the two things uh, were, were very similar in terms of, yeah, this thing that I talk about in the, in the this recalibration that I mentioned in the, in my piece that is constantly um, repositioning and, and adjusting basically and, and doing this together within the relationship. The issue that I see more, more, more difficult is how to translate this uh, relationships and solidarities that happen in the fieldwork into our writing when the writing is very much related to your individual writing and being individually an author. This is probably, and, and to the, the text, you know, because then, then in terms of if you want to progress with your career, then you have to do certain things, but these things are not necessarily in line with the kind of relationship you have been building in, 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 in the field. I think I've tried not to think of myself as a precariously employed person ever, like even though I was. And this is, this is maybe partly because uh, for most of my fieldwork when I was doing the PhD, I was with um, working with people in the informal economy in South India, like hyper, hyper sort of preca precarious of, for, for many different reasons. And then, you know, and then, and then I was always thinking, okay, you know, trying to think about things in terms of relative privilege. And that's one issue. But then the other issue is, as you pointed out already, um, this is the general condition of early career. Are we early career? We're middle-aged people, you know, <laughs> of middle-aged people in academia. <laughs> in any of a field, if you've been a, an expert of something for over a decade, then you'll be considered like, you know, like an expert, but you're still made to feel like your adulthood is unfinished, shall we say, because, uh, yeah, because of the structures. But then like, then I'm thinking, so it makes it feel like the abnormality is people who are precarious and the normality is the... Um, is the select few people who've who've managed to get themselves a permanent position by playing a game which now is rigged shall we say they probably published one or two articles and got a permanent job whereas there's people floating around with a couple of books a bunch of articles who can't even get an interview right and so by you always thinking about precarity and thinking about what we've learned from working with our interlocutors in the field i'm wondering whether we're always putting ourselves in a position of inferiority because we're saying okay oh we're precarious we want to become less precarious we want to be like you the non-precarious people but then there's a limit there eventually right because it's not a systemic systemic um solution to uh to, to the situation if i'm making sense do we need to stop thinking about precarity when we're thinking about uh the lives of early career scholars I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking so many things. And things I'm just thinking probably we should stop thinking about uh, early career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably that's the, <laughs> because it's tr what you say is true. Why, why, why I, we have more than ten years of experience in this thing. Like in, in academia is quite peculiar because in in, in a different kind of jo in different jobs you have different you have you have be treated a bit different when you have so much experience. But I'm not an expert on that. And also, we are not not expert in in pre academic precarity. We probably should say that, but we are expert by experience, uh, <laughs> let's say. So um, I think my my point point here is the peculiarity of academic life is also important because there is this this myth of oh, you will someday have a permanent position. So actually precarity comes in when you are told that this is not what you should aim for. And
and the whole structure is not made for supporting people working, for example, in, in fixed term contracts or people don't even have parental leave when they are on fixed term contracts. So I think the, the, the issue is it's a structural issue. Like we, the precarity is produced within the, 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 the academic system and, and with this need of things will change, you just have to try hard enough. No, no, I, I actually, yeah, totally agree uh, with Olivia and with you, Ian, in the sense that maybe we should, because it's true that, like, always focusing on precarity, you're always focusing on something that you're missing, basically. So, and, uh, and, 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 and so on with, with, with what Olivia was saying. So maybe I'm missing another book. Maybe I'm missing another article in a top uh, journal blah 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 or maybe i miss uh more teaching or i don't know whatever but um and it's still uh something that doesn't let's say i i don't really like this word but empower us so much probably uh at the same time what what we are trying to say is that it's not just um precarity is not just something that we endure and that we so like passively, we are passively subjected to. It's also a condition that can be generative, let's say, but not like I, in this way, I don't want to justify precarity at all. I'm just saying that it, because it's so widespread and it's so common, uh, then maybe we should try to interrogate precarity more instead of seeing it uh just as a missing link basically and just seeing like what actually is producing in terms of politics of field works relationality uh how our own subjectivities rework through the knowledge that we produce and so on and so can we look at precarity uh, in a more, uh, this is just a joke, productive way, but <laughs> <laughs> just to be very, very neoliberal always. <laughs> I think, I think somebody, I think, uh, yeah, put in a, put in a, um, a panel suggestion for an upcoming conference like that, just to see the hate mail you get, no? The <laughs> <laughs> right. Can I, can I say something? Well, I was speaking, I was, I was actually thinking that also probably we should shift the questions that we are asking ourselves in, in, a, in an existential way, because, um, we tend to ask ourselves, um, is, is it enough? Uh, am I worth it? But actually, we should, I mean, all of the precarious people that work in anthropologists uh, have proven that they can play the game. It's really that they are up to it. That they, are, that they are super nice scholars and amazing scholars and amazing thinkers. So we should probably start thinking, okay, I can play the game. Do I want to? I mean, do I want this? Because... I don't know, maybe, maybe if we try, start thinking about it, maybe the 70% of academics that don't like being in academia or don't think this is something that is doing good to their profession, maybe, I don't know, maybe they should think about it and ch either change things or do something else. I don't know. I don't want to say, oh, we should change the words because it's not that easy. But I mean, just think about it in a different way. Mm -hmm. This is why we always say at Allegra amongst the editorial collective that we're going to found a university, the Allegra University, and maybe one day we will. 
and <laughs> I will have a big long list of things uh, uh, and people that aren't allowed inside. <laughs> All the people who uphold the current situation and maybe play the game a little bit too well. Anyway, that's uh, we'll bring you back to discuss our new university in a few years uh, once it's founded. And uh, if you're still working in academia, no, and I haven't all burnt down. Anyway, it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, Olivia and Viola. Thank you so much for coming on and for your wonderful thread. There'll be links everywhere if anyone who's listening, but also just check on the Allegra site. You can find all of the contributions. The thread's name again, Encountering Precarities, Ethnography, Spurious Solidarity and Neoliberal Academia. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you so much.